All right, so what's going on, guys? This is episode three. Uh, pretty lengthy one again, but we got some pretty good feedback off the lengthy ones, so we might just roll with it for now. Uh, this episode goes into a lot of what controllable variables are to us as coaches and what we kind of think about them. So we have a little bit different mindset when it comes to them. Um, it's not probably the conventional sense that most people would think. But then we also dive into some of our first meet mistakes and uh, some things that are probably some pretty good things to think about for your first meet. So let's go ahead and dive into this episode and also listen to me get roasted on <laughs> my bench press. So it's my turn this time. Let's start this one off strong too. Prep your assholes for episode three. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh, and then comes way, Kyle from the top ropes. I have to say this because it's hilarious. Somebody literally came up to me about episode two and said, oh, no. apparently that when I, when I had made the comment about Steve's bench being shit after being in the joint, they almost drove off the road while <laughs> listening to our podcast. <laughs> they were laughing that hard. So I got a lot of feedback on that. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> right, what happens so... when you fucking drop a bomb at the end of the podcast <laughs> like that because, like, I didn't know. Like, I had no idea. And then I'm just like, all right, cool. This is... I didn't either. Yeah. I was like, oh, uh, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Um... Yeah. No, that was, uh, I, I got a lot of feedback on the last one. And uh, literally 50% of it is when people go on my Instagram and they start stalking my, my bench post and they're like, bro your bench is not like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. And the problem is they're not going back eight to 12 weeks of looking. So <laughs> yeah. Before the grip change, I've, uh, I've been seeing yeah. a lot of success with, um, with a different grip style too. What are you going oh, with now? Is it bulldog? You, did you try the, the grip that I had showed you in that video? Yes. With the, with the looser thumb on the outside. Yeah. Yes. It helps that I have like large hands and I'm able to like um, cock my wrist into my wraps a little bit better and let the bar sit into the palm of my hands. I've been seeing success with that. Depending on the, the person, large hands do help the cock. Yes, that is true. Yeah. So anyway, before we derail the podcast on some more of Steve's sucks, I think we were all sitting in his easy chair, awkwardly sitting as grandpa over here. Yo, I am 100% comfortable though. Like Our audience can't hear Dalton. Dalton's literally in like a full-on lazy boy recliner. He's got his feet kicked up. He's got three beverages, it looks like, surrounding him. Oh, yeah. Dude, that's me all the time, though. He also already squirted on himself before we started recording. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's also point out that uh, Kyle's name right now is Captain Deadcock, so... That goes perfectly with our conversation from earlier. Is that what that's from? Yes. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> for the audience. So for, so for those that don't know, our conversation earlier, we have a group chat between the three of us, right? All right. So we were talking about drugs, first and foremost, because what else would we talk about being powerlifters? No, but... it was it was a podcast topic. We were talking about different people's <laughs> view on different do- dosages and shit. But and... it was about drugs. <laughs> I had I had noted that like the reason that I would never fuck around with uh, fucking Deca is because it literally is most notoriously known for like hey my joints feel great but my dick doesn't work so like I'm scared shitless to even touch the shit. Hence yeah. comes in Captain Deadcock. 
but uh i will reiterate my point though i don't know if that's a bad thing for for some people <laughs> that might be really good Which, i mean it's also not a bad thing that most kill it entirely but what i'm trying to say is like it it's just fucking scary like <laughs> dude my joints feel great but my girlfriend hates me like that's fucking terrible yeah, so some of the some of the ones that Deca's famous for are hair loss on the top of your head, hair growth everywhere else on your body, and uh, possibly for the audience listening, we have a lot of natty listeners. Like uh, Nandrolone Bicanoate can sometimes cause erectile dysfunction in some men, and it's like a notable side effect that happens to some people. And uh, Captain Deadcock says that that is not for him. No, no. I love how like Kyle and I are just like, yeah, it kills your dick, and then Steve's over here like erectile dysfunction. Well, I mean, for the so proper and prim with it, (laughs) I like I would be interested in running a poll for our audience, like tested, untested. And I would say we have more tested people who are going, what the hell is DECA? Well, no, which I please understand that, like the part of the reason why I even wanted to talk about that. And like you'll you'll slowly hear this starting to drift through our conversations. I don't think it's discussed enough. Like and by the way, for the record, all three of us are not like heavy users and all that shit. But we are all three. So for instance, I am completely natural. Heavily accused. Like I'm just saying, like it literally, like for some reason, the fact that I am 308 pounds, everybody and their fucking mother thinks I'm on everything under the sun. And part of the reason why I am one of the least competitive 308ers I know is because that is completely false. Yeah. Like. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, it's just like one of those things where, like, oh, he's got to be all this other stuff. Dude, motherfucker, I literally just put on weight. My father is 260 pounds and has never touched a barbell in his life. Yeah. Like, we're just big people. So Kyle's just built different. So, Dalton, go ahead and get your, your natty status out there. Go ahead, go ahead and show everybody your natty card. Yeah, I mean, it's in my wallet. I gotta go get it. But So, Dalton, for all of our listeners who are not familiar with us, is a tested athlete, and he's a, an exceptionally strong tested athlete. And I myself, But I think that's a, a misconception that comes with, like, most either, – either whether you're tested or not. Like, once you start pulling five, 600 pounds, people are like, ah, oh, like, I can't do that. He's on drugs. But see, the thing oh, is, is I do think that that culture is going to shift here soon because you are yeah. seeing a lot of, like – 18 19 20 22 year olds that are like that don't get me wrong like i I understand that like there's a lot of people who are hiding drugs and i'm not trying to to say that that's not happening but what i I am saying is that there are a lot of people who are very evidently not on drugs Mm -hmm. and they are having successes because what a lot of people don't also acknowledge is the amount of adaptation that can occur when you start lifting at a very young age so because we're starting to see people starting to lift at 15 16 17 those adaptations are starting much earlier and they're leading to a more successful breed of athlete. So it's going to be crazy to see some of these kids who are not on shit with 700 pound poles and so on and so forth, then get on things later in life, because let's be real here. It's going to happen. And then it's just going to be insane. I mean, the the transfer is going to be immense possibly. Yeah. But I think I also say, to I'm say that, like, you it. have these 17, 18 year old kids who are pulling, like you just said, seven, eight, whatever, whatever it is they're pulling. But how many are going to fizzle out and even make it to that point? I don't think it's going to be that many because of the fact that they're not going to have, like, you got to remember that powerlifting once upon a time was a less mainstream thing. Now oh, it's yeah. becoming more of a mainstream, like, sport, I guess, would so, be the way to say it. When I say fizzle out there, I mean like be able to go get to that point of a healthy status. So whether it be with drugs or 
you know, if tendons haven't snapped or ligaments haven't snapped or anything like that, like that's, that's what's interesting to me. Cause I don't know how many of these kids train in a full sense of for the healthy, being healthy with it. Define healthy. But I think it's a whole different conversation. Like, I don't think this one. No, it, we it, can go it into it. But... Go in, it. It goes where we're going as far as the control yeah. variables aspect. But the thing is, is like what I, I am intrigued with is like when you see more of the, the John hacks who really find mm-hmm. their natural potential before they start putting things on board. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see the breed of athlete that that creates in powerlifting because I think too many people jump on way too fast and they never find that natural peak. And because they never find that natural peak, it's like, dude, you have no idea where you could have been. Like Larry Wheels, like don't get me wrong, and I, I, I hate Larry Wheels, but for a different reason. Like Larry Wheels has been on shit by his own admission since he was like 15. What the hell yeah. would have happened had Larry Wheels actually reached his natural peak and then gotten on shit? Or is Larry Wheels only as good as he is because he's been on stuff so far? We have to ask that question because obviously we can't go back and not juice up Larry Wheels. It's definitely a question because it's like, I mean, one, he's a genetic outlier. Like, no matter what, no matter which way you look at it, like, but he's is just he out a genetic there. outlier, or is he just a victim? I of think the... to do some of the things that he's done, he has to be a genetic outlier. I think he's in that that upper percentile. I'm not saying like he is the genetic outlier or anything like that, because I think there are other people who are stronger than him. We just haven't seen them yet. Right. But I also think that uh, I think you're 100 right. Like, if he would have put in the time as a natty boy and then maybe <laughs> progress this <laughs> we, oh, sorry, at some point we need to do a, a, a video podcast, but uh, if he would have, if he would have put in the time as a natty boy to actually, you know, work on the technique aspect maybe, and then gone from there, that it could be a whole different story. Cause the, the thing you notice with him is that it's been one injury after another. Right. Agreed. So I think there's, there, there is, an underlying to the training that he's missed at a fundamental standpoint. And I think that the drugs may have escalated his training to a point where he, like he was a world-class powerlifter and he could very, very well still come back to be one. But I also think that uh, there is an underlying aspect of training of Larry wheels. Yeah. It's hard to say he's still young. He's younger than I am. So yeah, but what I'm saying is from, like, a pharmaceutical, he is not younger than you are. No, no, he can't, yeah. Um, but, I mean, that goes back to what I was saying, though, because, like, when you're on drugs – so for those that don't know about drugs or anything, it might be completely new. Like, when we talk about drugs, whether we say gear, drugs, whatever, steroids, anabolics, it's pretty much all the same thing, unless we're talking about it in the sense of geared lifting as in a sense of, like, wearing briefs or anything like that. Um, when you do this thing – like when you jump on the drugs, you will get stronger. Yes. You will increase muscle mass. You could, will have more contractile. Stronger. You could get stronger. Could yes. That, that's a good point. That's a good caveat, but you will increase this contractile tissue that will in turn put more stress on tendons on ligaments. And I think part of the key thing that's missing from him is the fact that he hasn't had that time to actually strengthen tendons, ligaments to catch up to what his body is which is why you're seeing him snap bicep. Well, biceps are probably more of uh, just positioning mobility and the, the amount of tension he's putting on it, but like why he's snapping quads and things like that are because of that. And I think it's a lot of like why other people are doing it too. It's possible. 
It's very hard to tell though, because that's one yes. thing that I that I don't like about the the assumption is that it's it's very hard to tell who is and who isn't on shit. Look at the traps. Because I know very, very huh? I said look at the traps. <laughs> that's not true. That is such a <laughs> false bullshit. And that's part of the reason why I fucking hated that shit. Because like <laughs> people used to fucking do that to me all the time. Nobody can fucking have traps like that. Bullshit. Okay. Like it, it happens. Right. So um, speaking to that point specifically, there are a large number of androgen receptors in your traps. And so your traps yeah. will see greater growth than the other muscle groups at the same volume level. But speaking to Kyle's original point about um, athletes taking the time to reach a, a high point, even their peak as a natural before they transition, I can think of three examples at the very top of the sport right now who all did that. Uh, John Hack, Jamal Browner, and Yuri Belkin. We're all yep. IPF world level lifters yep. before they either failed the drug tests and were pushed into the untested as in two of them, or until they made the decision to leave the tested side and just compete untested. And all three yep. of them are shining examples of that process in work. Was it, it was Yuri and Jamal that failed, right? Correct. Yeah. No shade, no hate, but yes, they no, both no. failed. Yes, they both failed. Yeah. Shame, shame, get me my <laughs> yeah, shame mean, bell. <laughs> yeah. And more to the point of injuries when people get on, like Larry's dealing with, um, it's well seen in the literature that ligaments and tendons don't have the same hypertrophic or even like strength response to androgen. Well, they can't. Involved. They don't have the same blood flow either. Right. They don't have the, the, Thank you. The mechanism. Before I had to say it. Like the mechanism for growth isn't there. Like they don't hypertrophy in the way that muscles do. So it's very common for strength to go through the roof your tendons and ligaments remain in that same position and then you're exceeding their ability to produce force and you just start snapping everything in sight. Like you'll see it happen yeah. to some of, these, some of these young untested lifters. Yeah. I think I, to me personally, I think that's a key component within, within any training is like making sure whether you're tested, untested, doesn't matter. Even in sports, I think sports primarily, I think it's why you see so many tempo style things within that. Tempos are great. Like when you look back at the literature, tempos are great for increasing tendon strength and tensile strength within the. Yeah, so are isometric holds for sure. Yeah. Holistic movement. <laughs> yep. Holistic movement, but with lower mm -hmm. weight load and yes. greater intent will grow tendon health. But the problem is, is people do it wrong. Like said, so like, let's say if you so then yeah sorry um like <laughs> just for anybody who's wondering what the hell i'm talking about right now and this is a controllable variable so it's kind of on the topic if you were doing dumbbell press let's say you dumbbell press 100 pound dumbbells for sets of 10 comfortably mm -hmm. pick up a set of like 25s 30s to start and then literally do a essentially a lower range bouncing motion to really focus on that tendon aspect, that lower end, that full stretch position. And it will literally start to work on the, just the, the actual connective tissue, but it's a controlled bounce. It's not violently jerking. Again, this goes back to that whole rope tricep pushdown. You're not, we're not trying to literally bounce the goddamn dumbbells through the ceiling. It is a controlled tension on them. But again, it goes back to that intent. I'm I'm doing ballistic movement to help my tendons. No, you're literally shaking the shit out of the bench underneath you. We're not violently convulsing, not having a seizure with dumbbells. Oh my god, it's like being in a commercial gym and watching the gym bro bench press 135 and bounce off. You mean I'm not working on my tendon health and my violent convulsions on my bench? 
Yeah. Controllable variables, go. <laughs> yeah, that was the awkward pause. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it does play into controllable variables because one of the, I, I'm, I jotted down a couple things that right off the top of my head, some of the primary controllable variables would be sleep, nutrition and supplements, be that um, spicy supplements or regular ones. Um, you so can spicy absolutely- supplements? Spicy, spicy supplements? Spicy supplements. And then uh, I also have your programming. Like you may not be able to directly control your programming, but you can control who does it. Um, then cardio and then stress management are all different controllable things, hydration, you know, different things that lifters are either maybe not paying enough attention to or not giving enough forethought to because the greatest program in the world isn't going to do jack shit if you're not sleeping and you're not eating, for example. It won't work at all. 100% agree. Like you can give somebody the worst program in the world, but if they have other factors uh, set for and they put forth the effort, like you're going to see progress, but you can give the same, give the same, uh, the same person a program might be the best written program in the world, but if they don't have other variables in check and they don't have the effort, it's not going to matter. It's not going to make progress. It goes back to what we were talking about the other uh, episode about buy-in. So that would actually be what I would, let me, let me be honest about this. Controllable variable is food. I am the worst at. Mm -hmm. I I will own this because somebody's going to jump in the comment section. I can already tell you right now, I eat very little meat and that is a huge problem for me right now. Yeah. And I, something that I am trying to break the habit of, I eat pretty much sushi and garbage meat. And that is all I eat. I cannot eat steak. I cannot eat fucking chicken. I cannot eat fucking hot meat. I don't know why I'm trying to fix it. It is because I was not raised on it and I am trying my ass off to develop a taste for it. Okay. So it's palate and not digestibility. Correct. Culture. Okay. Yeah. No, my dad, but even then though, it's like there's beans and pasta. Like that's, that's something that brings it. uh, It's like when I do nutrition coaching and stuff like that, like that whole thing is like, Hey, like if you have a culture, if you have, so like my wife's Filipino, if she does fried rice all the time, then let's take that into account. Like, how do you work around this to make it a controlled variable at that point to see progress? Agreed. But I'm just being very honest that, just because we're talking about controlled variables does not mean that we all feel like we have them all under control. No, certainly not. No. Well, and that's the thing is like, I, I don't think any one person has every single variable they have under control. Like you just, you can't convince me of that because some, like at some point, something's going to go wrong, plain and simple. That's life. Yeah, exactly. And you can't account for life all the time. This isn't turning into another life lesson now, but <laughs> But uh, I think as far as controlled variables, I think, uh, what? That's a song. Life lessons oh. learned the hard way. That's Kyle serenading us now. No, absolutely not. I will not be doing <laughs> we that. We just lost 50% of our viewers or our listeners, oh. where they are. <laughs> oh. Harsh. Well, Steve's over there in a fucking trance, so I got to do something to call in the gap. Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually thinking on if someone were to press me how I would prioritize controllable variables, because you're right, there's an infinite number and we can go, I mean, we can literally get down to the most minute, like how many steps are you doing a day? Like what's your hydration like? Like, are you getting enough salt? Are you getting enough vitamin A, D? Like there's a million variables. But if, it, if you were to distill it down to the most important ones for our listeners, I think I would probably go with 
sleep, nutrition, and uh, your programming at that point. Yeah, that's not bad. I definitely agree with sleep and nutrition. I would change that actually. Okay. I would, I would change that. I would go sleep, recovery, and mental intent. Because I think that somebody could have a dog shit program, but have the mental intent and mental fortitude yeah. just still come out on top. Because I've seen people with great programs have shitty results. And I've seen people with poor programs have great results. And also, like, especially if you look at the, I, I don't think it has as much to do with programming as it has to do with the athlete's intent with the programming. I 100% because agree with that. We could literally show 90 different programs in front of all of us right now, and we're all going to think some are better than others based mm -hmm. off of our own, you know, preconceived notions or whatever it may be. But the thing is, is it's also an athlete's response to that program. Like, yep. I'm going to use my wife as an example because. I, I'm not going to get some like hate fuck off of this. If I use my wife as an example, if you looked at the way that I program my wife, you'd think I had six heads and no fucking idea what I'm doing, but I know the way she responds to things. So I know the way I have to program her. So her intent defines her progress. And then I, as a coach have to sh find a way to program for her intent. So like, I really think that it has more to do with the athlete's, <laughs> essentially the way that they assimilate into the program rather than the program itself. I, I would agree. I, I, if you, if it's, if it's put to me in those terms, I do agree with you. Um, I was assuming high client buy-in and intent, but you're correct. If those are individual variables that we're accounting for. Yes. So one of my other favorite quotes is a mediocre plan executed with full intent is better than an excellent plan um, executed with mediocre intent. I completely yeah. agree with you. 100%, yeah. I hope I said that right. I, I, if, I, I mean, if we're going to go around the quotes, the quote that I really love, uh, it's oh, from <laughs> it's from Atomic Habits. So it's from a book. I don't know. Kyle, have you read those? Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, it's not that. I just, I fucking, why are you guys quoting people? Like, I'm over here fucking sounding like I got no fucking common sense. And it's because I'm actually <laughs> trying to fucking talk myself here. And you guys are like, yeah, I, I quoted this. I'm quoting this. Like, yes, yeah, I but at the same guys, time, though. Thanks. I read two guys. <laughs> I'm not stupid. Uh, what's, interesting, what's interesting is you may possibly be the most formally educated out of all of us. I was, I was about to say that. Like, in yeah, terms I'm of like sure degree, you have the bachelor's degree. In, I was about to uh, say, yeah, Kyle's like actually educated. And some of us are just like, <laughs> I don't know, fucking out here. When you hit nail, it go in wood. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have two bachelor's uh, degrees. Thank you very much. Right, two. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just fucking with you guys. No, it, it is unfortunately <laughs> true that I have two of them, but I'm just, I, I don't give a fuck. Um, no, to be honest hey, with you, I'm the, in the school reason, now too. Yeah, that's not my point. The reason I don't like <laughs> quoting books as much, though, is because I have learned more, especially in powerlifting. I have learned more from in person experience and in person speaking with other coaches, other lifters, other, you know, people who have been in this for longer than, and I've learned more from that one-on-one -on -one experience and in fucking it up myself than I have ever read in a book. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I, myself, I value the time I've had with my mentors more, even if they don't realize that they're mentors to me than any other book or anything like that I've read. That is so much more valuable to me than anything else. It's me. I'm his mentor. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. Let's talk about conjugate in one of these episodes. You might become one. 
Yeah, so. I, dude, I which by the way, that that is case in point. So everything that I've read from a book makes me want to hate conjugate for any raw lifter. But mm-hmm. because I went in with an open mind and I found someone who is probably one of the best coaches. No, fuck, probably is one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. Shout him out. Is, no, Alan from CTX Barbell, no bullshit, best coach I've ever worked with personally because of the fact that like our communication is second to none. Shout and out. And that is huge. Like, and, and I'm not trying to blow anybody else off. I've worked with other great coaches too. I'm just saying from a communication standpoint, second to none. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. So you're hearing it here from an advanced level lifter that the high level of communication is what's giving him the best experience with this coach. And I feel like a lot of people can probably benefit from that site, from that standpoint. So no, I mean, it goes back to a controllable variable, controllable variables mm-hmm. and speech is not one of those for me, apparently, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you're controlling your mindset around training, right? So you're going into this and you're choosing, you're mentally choosing to say, Hey, I have not had a good experience with this, but here's my reins. Go with it. What you feel is right. And, and it's turning out to be really good for you. That's the big thing that I will say is that it is a controllable variable and it is entirely in my opinion on the athlete to convey that something is not going right. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think it's the program's fault because I know plenty of great coaches who get blamed for a lack of success because of their programming. Okay. Did you can, my first question to any lifter pissed off with their coach is have you said something? Yeah. And nine times out of 10, it's, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Okay, it's going to hurt their feelings more when you decide to go elsewhere without having a single conversation to help them fix it than it is for you to sit there and go, hey, I know you're doing really, you're doing your best for me, but right now it's not working. And by the way, for all you know, that coach is just as frustrated as you are for your lack of progress. And by the way, the only person who knows you're having an unacceptable level of progress is you. Because any coach that's worth their shit isn't going to walk up to you and be like, hey, you're doing dog shit right now. Like, they're going to say, hey, you know, maybe we need to, you know, maybe we need to pivot the program, maybe we need to whatever, but they're going to let you finish the cycle of whatever you're on. They're going to, or the wave or whatever you want to call it, the, the, the block. Uh, everybody calls it different things. Conjugate calls it a wave. A lot of people, other people call it a wave. Some people call it a block. Some people call it whatever the fuck. It is what it is. It's all the same shit. So like if you're, if you're in a three week period, a six week period, whatever it is, the coach is going to let you get to the end of your six weeks before they make an assessment on where you're at. But if you're three weeks in and you don't feel like you're where you should be in three weeks, fucking pick up the phone. Like it takes a text message, an email, whatever you have set up with your coach. Hey, don't really understand where we're going with this. I don't feel like this is right. And then give them the opportunity to explain where the intent is so that you either can buy in or together decide to pivot. I had that exact scenario this past week. Somebody, one of my, one of my clients, uh, uh, Jeff was asking me like, Hey, like, where are we going from here? You know, I, I like, we just came off the meet and everything. And it wasn't a very high amount of volume that I was giving him. And I was like, Hey, like, this is why we're doing this. And this is the plan going forward. It turned out to be a, like a stupidly long text message, but at the same time, like that's all he wanted. And that if he heard that and he was like, cool, that's fine with me. Like I'll leave sure it in your hands. The banded SSB floor press that was confusing him. Yeah, that was, 
Yeah, that was on me. That was it was I supposed to be told a him note. I had to flame you about that on you. Uh, I know. Go I ahead, because like thing. he asked me I'm... about it, and I was like, "What is he talking about?" And I looked back at it, and I was like, "Oh, that didn't update." So, for those that don't know, I use an app to update, and sometimes, anytime I use an app, some there's always something that could go wrong. Uh, always. Yeah. So unless you're using Excel, so I used to use Google Sheets. This is off topic, but I used to do Google Sheets. Yep. And I said I stopped because I had multiple instances. I had two instances where I would program for an athlete mm-hmm. and the entire sheet would just disappear. I like had even locking it. No bullshit. Yeah. Literally, I literally had that oh. happen because I was in the middle of my workout and my phone's going crazy. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And it was one of my athletes saying, Hey, I have no workout right now. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I literally, I double checked it before I went there. Well, apparently when I double checked it on my computer, because it stayed open, Google just literally didn't allow them to access it. Yeah. So no, I'm with you. But the other thing is, is like, just to take the fire off of you because I'm going to flame the <laughs> shit out of you for this again, probably. <laughs> but like I accidentally told somebody to take a 4,000 pound bench press one day because there, there was an extra zero and they were, they were a high, they were a mid fours bencher. And apparently my computer added an extra zero and they're like, I don't know if I can fit this on the barbell, but I'll try. And I'm like, you know, you just go out to the parking lot and put a barbell underneath the fucking game. The car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, 4,000 power bench press. I did. So I did that on my, uh, my peaking program. Uh, I showed Steve that. And at one point I had said like, take a 275% uh, tempo bench. And I was like, what's going on here? It turned out to be like an 1100 pound bench. It's like, it's, wow. All right. All right. Yeah. That's what but we're going with now. Keep your butt on the bench with 402. So what are you going to do with the couple? Hey, hey, no, it was on there. I'll fight you on that one. It was on there. It's, it's questionable. <laughs> I mean, you were. It'll be their meat day. That's all that matters, right? It'll be their meat day. Well, just hope the judges are in taint view. It's fine. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, back to controllable variables, though. Since we kind of. Keeping your ass on the bench is a controllable variable. (laughs) Yes. Execution. Yes, it is. Execution. Execution, yes. Is controllable. Like, if you're out here jumping bench commands, if you're out here missing, I mean, if your butt's coming up, if you're, I mean, that is 100% controllable on you. Yep. And I completely way, agree with that because you can always use somebody in your, pro, in your uh, practice sessions or your training sessions to always give you commands, or you can always run commands yourself. Yeah. Also, just because this kind of goes together with what we were just talking about, video your goddamn lifts. Yes. It doesn't have to go on Instagram. It doesn't have to be for your coach. And by the way, just as an athlete in and of itself, like I don't care if you have the best coach in the world, learn how to read your own videos. And what I mean by this, and everybody's like, what do you mean read? It's a video. What I'm saying is learn to look for the things going wrong so that before you even send them to your coach, have an idea of what is going to be said. Have an idea of what may be causing what you're feeling. Because the more you can communicate to your coach, you may be wrong. I'm not saying you're going to be right every time. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the more you have a concept of what's going on with your own lifting, the better lift session you can have. Because yeah. literally the most frustrating thing to me is when people are like, oh, well, you know, I just had a shitty day today. Okay, well, you know why? Well, no. Okay, well, how long have we been working together? A few years. Okay, and you still don't know what the fuck is wrong. Well, I don't know. You're going to tell me. Okay. 
Yeah. This is a hypothetical situation. I don't have anybody doing that, by the way. But at the same <laughs> time, the, the thing is, is that one, don't just video your working sets, video your last warmup. It takes yep. an extra five to 10 seconds to set up the camera on your last warmup so that if for some reason your warmups feel great, because I can't even count how many times I've heard this. I don't know what happened. My warmups feel great. And then my top sets felt like shit. Okay. Well, did you video your last warmup? No. Yeah. Like what changed between them? Well, we have no point of reference to tell you where you, you know what I mean? Is it a bench press? Were your scaps retracted? Are you throwing your yep. shoulders forward now? Are you sinking the barbell differently? What In was your squat, joint stacking you, like? That's it. Literally. Like if it's a deadlift, did your slack pull change? Is it the weight issue? What is it? Like, and, but if you don't video it, you have no <laughs> point of reference. And I, it is a hugely controllable variable. It takes nothing with how everybody wants, I want clout for a fucking five pound PR. Good for you. Everybody does. Video yeah. your fucking warm up. Maybe your PR will be bigger next time. Yeah. I but I also, so I think it's a double edged sword on that because I think also, depending on who you have videoing, like as far as like athletes who you have videoing, which should be everybody, but it can be a double edged sword because if an athlete becomes too engrossed into their, uh, their video, it can lead to over-analysis and basically analysis by uh, paralysis by analysis is basically what I'm saying. So it can be a double-edged sword. It, yeah. And yeah, I've done it before. Like so have 100%. I. Literally, we had this conversation. The reason that I stopped yeah. self-coaching about, because for the, for the record, I self-coached for about 10 months in between coaches and then got a coach and then went to a number of the coach. It's a long story, but the, the, we had this discussion of that we both do this yeah. to ourselves because we are educated. We know what we're doing, but at the same time, you literally end up not letting yourself finish the cycle of whatever you're doing because you're sitting here like, Oh, well I could do this better. Oh, well I could do that better. And I do hundred percent. And this goes back to, I think a topic Steve and I have talked about before. And then what you just said is like, you have to have time working on these things before you actually see if they work or not. Yeah, so you have to finish out the cycle block wave, like you said earlier, whatever you call it, you have to finish that block out. Yeah, so, Like speaking to Kyle's point um, on filming your sets uh, and don't just film those pretty top sets for Instagram, by the way, like I do need to see your top set, but just as important as your last back down set. Cause I need to see what's happened, like what level of form breakdown are we looking at at your current volume level? Cause if you're How only doing like, a, say that again, how much fatigue do you have? That's what I mean. Like, and, and what is just because you're able to hold it together for that first triple, what does the last one look like? And it, it's really able to show some of like the weaknesses and breakdowns. Yeah, no, which by the way, like part of the reason why I'm saying video your last warm up is what's the differential between your last warm up and your last set? Agreed. How much fatigue did you accrue during that? Agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. How much did you actually, how much workload did you put out versus what's the fatigue look like? You know what I mean? You're also judging because this is something that I think a lot of lifters don't account for, especially in their first couple of meets is what is the overall muscle endurance that you have? Right. Because people forget that there's nine fucking lifts in one session. Yeah. Like it's yeah. nine lifts to complete a full power meet. Sure. So it's not just what can your muscle do on the first three? It's what can you do over the course of what could be an eight to 10 hour period? Yeah. So if you're not increasing your muscular endurance and you're only increasing muscular strength, it doesn't matter how much you can bench press in the gym. It doesn't matter how much you can deadlift in the gym 
because by yeah. the time you get to bench and deadlift, you're fucking it's not going to matter. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think if you're if you're gassing out on meet day, it's a it's an uh, absolute matter of your conditioning or muscular endurance, like Kyle said, or it's something nutrition based as well. True. Which mine's dog shit, but somehow I still make it through. Yeah, <laughs> let's be like you have to. So I am hundred percent like you have to be just horrible with your conditioning or something to to not make it through i agree like you're looking at six sub maximal lifts and ideally three maximum lifts and if like if you can't make it through that then there's there's real issues going on i will say this that i have had meets go both ways the the only reason that i i do see what what dalton's putting on or putting out there is my last meet i had unknowingly i had a sinus infection and an ear infection my openers went fine. My second attempts moved okay. And my third on my squat went like shit. I scratched my third on bench. And then I just adjusted my third on deadlift to still hit a decent PR. But at the same time, it was nowhere near where I wanted to be. So I do agree that if you're intelligent about where you're going, you can absolutely finish your day. Yes. But I also but I want to, I want to point something out, though. Like, that's something that's uncontrollable in your aspect, though. Which I agree, but what I'm trying to say is is that if if you're reaching big, like that being like if you really have big numbers in mind and you could be capable of them, the day can absolutely kick you in the balls. Yeah. So I, I just want to differentiate between finishing the day for fin- for the sake of finishing the day versus finishing the day with your goals in mind. Because they do yeah. separate. And a lot of people, the, the biggest thing that I can say is sometimes controlling your variables is making that shitty call of, okay, how do I make this day successful despite the fact that my day is not going the way I want to? Yeah. I mean, I think also um, something our viewers might be looking for as well, or listeners, whatever you want to call them, that they might be looking for is like a list of controlled variables. But I think that list is so variable in itself depending on the lifter because you might have somebody who maybe they're an emt paramedic firefighter whatever they are like sleep may not be a controllable thing for them like True. if you get called out in the middle of a, the middle of the night you may have only gotten two hours of sleep well that's not controllable in your aspect then yeah. so like yeah we may have these this standardization of what we would consider controllable variables which would be sleep, nutrition, training, mindset, you know, intent, things like that. But also realize like, it's not just those. What may be, what may be controllable for one person is not controllable for the next. The one thing that I would, I I definitely agree with you. And what I would say is control what is in your control and train around what you have to. I mean, a great example of this, especially since you brought up the sleep variable, um, we all know someone who has an immense bench press, which for the sake of just keeping him out of the loop on this, I, I, I don't know if he wants to be named or not. So I'm going to respect that. The man has a fantastic bench press and he works nights more than half the time. Yeah. But that man shows up, does what he can, gets home and leaves no excuse on the table. Like you will never hear a complaint edgewise out of him and he smashes it. I had a client for a while. She switched to strongman, so she's not with me anymore. But she was both a first responder and active duty reservist for the uh, Army. And we had to train around both of those. She had active PT all the time that she got called out for. 
and she was a full-time fire fire paramedic. And the funny thing is, and I always tell this story because it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever witnessed. She had to weigh in the day of the first Miami throwdown because she literally was on shift the night before. Yeah. So she showed up, weighed in, right? Now, mind you, she was literally sweating in her car in her goddamn fire uniform, which I apologize. I don't know what that's called. But she was in her actual fire gear. She was sweating it out. She weighed in. She made weight. She was in a stairwell IVing herself and did not realize that she was in a flight. I was trying to text her, trying to get a hold of her, and I was weighing in for day two. And she literally yanked the IV out of her arm, runs up onto the platform, hits her first squat with no fucking warm-up, three white lights it, and proceeds to go two for three on fucking squats that day. Hitting a, by the way, hitting a 22 pound PR in the squat. That's so, a perfect example of like controlling what you control. That's my point is literally like we couldn't control the fact that I had to weigh in that day. And it was something I learned about myself that I needed to make sure that somebody else was handling my athletes. If I was weighing in, because I would have normally checked the board to make sure to verify what she had told me, but I trusted her. It was a, it was multiple meets we had done. She was like, no, I was moved to sea flight. I said, okay. And I went to weigh in. And I do partly own that 100% myself. And by the way, still blame myself to this day. But at the same time, you didn't hear her bitching and moaning about it. She fucking yanked that goddamn IV out of her arm. She got underneath that fucking barbell and literally was bleeding on the platform taking her first squat. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, this is not a, a message to show how much of a badass you could be and, you know, make yourself bleed before you go take your first squat with no warm up. But there was no controlling those variables. Like in that exact moment, shit hit the fan. It sucked. But at the same time, you can still be successful. And by the way, she still won her goddamn class that day. And no, it was not one of those where there was nobody else in her weight class. She literally won her class by like, I want to say it was over a hundred pounds. Yeah. And, and Set. it goes back to what I was just saying. Like, you don't know what's controllable for an athlete because one, it changes so much. And two, yeah. It's different from athlete to athlete. There's no way to like, do that. Like you can sit there and worry till you're blue in the face and then show up and you have a fucking sinus infection. It should happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's, all, it's completely outside of your control. You can't do anything about that unless you're just going to say, hey, I'm not going to compete today. And which if yeah. that's the case, you're just not going to compete. Plain and simple. Which that's, and by the way, I respect it either way. Yeah. I mean, I respect the person who decides to compete anyway. And I respect the person who goes, you know what? This is not for me today. I can't do this. Exactly. But, you know, and, you know, Steve shows up for a meet and he's still ugly. It's fine. <laughs> it's still ugly. God. My knees don't work and I'm fucking, yeah, it's always a mess. All right. So Steve's worse gump now. <laughs> well, no, the fucking thing is, is like literally we're having this whole goddamn conversation and I'm just looking at Steve in the corner of the screen. Just like, yep. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. Well, I hear you. I mean, it, it, I think the, the, what we're all trying to say is that, you should try to control the variables you can control, but you should always have a strong state of mind that you're able to roll with the punches and you're able to, um, to accept the things that are within your control and let the things go that are not in your control at that time. But we yeah, still do the best we can. Like this isn't to make an excuse and say like, Oh, well, it's just going to be what it is. Like, no, no, no. I still need you guys to be hitting your sleep. I still need you to be hitting your macros. I still need you to be doing the things that are within your control, like your daily cardio, but have the understanding that you need a resilient mindset 
because we're always in control of how we re respond to situations, even when we're not in control of the situation. Yeah. And also, uh, Steve just put exactly what we were saying right. into better words. So just uh, skip forward to what we're like 30 minutes into this now. I have no idea. I think it's like 45. But one thing before we switch, know. before we switch topics, and this does kind of segue into your next topic, is something that I am. I'm a control freak. I am very OCD. I am very methodical, very planned out. Both of these guys will tell you that I am an okay handler, but also it's because I'm very meticulous and I'm running back and forth more than I've ever run in my life if I'm handling you. And I do it to 100%. myself. It doesn't um, matter if it's 20 feet. It doesn't matter. Correct. But it, I do it to <laughs> myself. So taking this from a control freak, do not overstress controlling those variables to the point where you have now added a new variable of your own stress. Yeah. Because... Yes that stress can be just as destructive as not sleeping. That stress can be even more destructive than that because people don't 100%, realize. 100%. Cortisol kills everything else. Like, yes. I don't care if you're on more fucking, you know, drugs under the sun than fucking anybody. I've seen somebody stress themselves into a fit of just like, well, you might as well have not have fucking shown up today. And for the record, that's yeah. not me. I'm just saying it's... I know for a fact that I have literally stressed myself out of a good competition mindset before and to the point where my own wife was looking at me like, I don't want to fucking be there with you right now because like you are a jackass. And it's not because I'm trying to be a dick. It's because I'm over here like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And guess what? Like all these other people who are enjoying the meat around me are having a much better time and crushing it. Yep. While I'm over here in my fucking headphones trying to kill something. And it's because I don't know how to let that go. And, and this isn't to say, though, that you shouldn't have a competition mindset, but it's to say, like, if things don't go your way and you are somebody who's someone like, I need to control this, like, learn to be okay with the flow of things. Like, we've already yeah, said it, but it's 100%. 100%. Yeah. Because, like you just said, whoever is enjoying themselves more is most likely going to have a better day. Oh, I, you understand. Which, by the way, I learned this because. I went into my last meet going, you know what? I feel like shit, but I'm still here and I'm still going to compete. And even though all of those factors made me feel like dog shit, like my head wanted to explode after squat one. Yeah. But I still had a great day because I literally just was like, you know what? I'm going to take what I can on the day and just enjoy being here. And yeah. I still walked away with an okay total. But at the same time, like I still suck, but it's fine. Things could have been better if you would have had that mindset in the beginning. I would have sucked slightly less. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's something that's always portrayed within the, the military mantra too, is like embrace the suck. That's that. that and, I'm not even going to, I'm going to just. Hey, I underhand tossed that one to you guys. All right. I know, but I'm it does bring up a here. good, like a good mindset of just being like, Hey, if things do suck, like, you know, it is what it is. Times I mean, are going to pass. I handle the way that I do is because I know how much I overstress myself and I always want an athlete that I'm working with, whether it be my athlete or somebody else's athlete that just said, Hey, can you handle me today? I just want them to have as little stress as possible. Cause I know how much yeah. that fucks me up. That's the reason so, why I, even though Dalton needs fucking nothing on me day other than, you know, a swift kick in the ass when he sucks. Like <laughs> It's just like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, Hey, do you need anything? Hey, sit down. Hey, do you need anything? Hey, do you need anything? Hey, do you need anything? Exactly. And I didn't care how many times you said, no, I'm still going to fucking ask the question. Dude, you probably asked me 50 times. Like, but that's the thing though, is like, 
you sit there and you ask completely like repeatedly because you don't know when something right. might change if I do need something. But at the same time, I'm one of those athletes that doesn't really need, like, I never have a handler. As a matter of fact, this Saturday I'm going into competition, no handler. So, but at the same time, it's going to be one of those things where it's, I don't need one because I've done this so many times now. I would argue you still do, but I can understand doing it without one. Uh, well, so I, this is something we can get into uh, a little bit later too. But um, a little bit later, might as well get into it fucking now. We've been doing. Well, it so the one thing, I, the one last thing I want to say though is like, you brought this up. Like cortisol kills. Like stress is stress. It doesn't matter what form of stress it is. Stress is stress. Physical, mental, emotional. It's all stress. It doesn't matter. Like Agreed. you cannot put a barrier between any of them. They all have a component within the body. They all have a taxing on the body, and it does not matter. So, like that's that's my last little beat of the drum to that. All right, Steve, your Steve, turn. Anything on cortisol before you go? Um, only to point out that the adrenal response to leaching cortisol actually drives performance. So it's not to say that you can completely like some stress can be motivating. And for example, if there's a uh, if there's a, a wild bear chasing you through the woods, you're probably going to run your fastest PR for 40 time ever because like that cortisol leech can drive performance, but you do have to walk that very fine line between like the sustained use of it and monitoring your arousal. That's my only thoughts on cortisol. Since I'm just you saying if I'm ever chased by a bear, don't run with me. I'm tripping whoever's the slowest. I'm stopping to shoot the bear. Like, why don't I have a <laughs> mag on me? What the fuck is the problem? <laughs> like, I understand that I'm going to have like a whole pita following afterwards, but it is what it is. Like the bear started chasing me. I didn't fucking run after the bear. And also, why smoky. is there a bear in my powerlifting meet? Like, <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. So was it the Kern, the 2020 Kern US Open? There was a bear at the meet in a cage. Now, are we talking like a bear or like a what? bear? No, I'm a bear. Like there was a bear. physical bear in the cage at the meet. And like there was such a negative response to it on social media that it all got downplayed. But yes, like I, I'm almost positive it was the 2020 Kern. Maybe 2021. Uh, I think I want to say 2020 Kern. And uh, 2020 like, might have also been the year that they had like 17 red lights in a row or something. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it was, it was like the, the year before that. I don't remember. It was, it was a mess. But there was, in fact, a, a, a live animal at the, at the meet. All right, so we're never getting invited to the current now. <laughs> right. Like, well, yeah. Not that like yeah, any of us are ever going, but whatever. just about to say not a fucking one of us has a shot in hell at that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sucks when everybody, like, all for, like, the audience, like, these two will start shitting on their, their total or their Wilkes or whatever, and they're both much more accomplished than I am, like, farther along in the sport, both, like, total and Wilkes-wise. So I'm always over here like, oh, okay, I'll just go fucking hang myself from the rafters now. <laughs> I unintentionally did that in the gym the other day, and I didn't. I felt so bad because, like, I literally said, and I do genuinely believe this, I am a much, much better spotter than I am lifter. So the way that I put it in the gym, though, was that I am a mediocre lifter and an elite-level spotter. And then I don't remember who it was, but somebody across the gym was like, was like, what the fuck does that make me? And I'm like, dude, you fucking get it. Like, it is a whole different ball game. Like, it is a whole different ball game. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is like, I feel like I'm a better coach than I am a lifter. But I mean, that's it's the same concept. So many jokes I'm refraining from right now for the sake of not blaming you again. 
Okay, so what was uh, our next topic? Uh, first... <laughs> we were jumping into uh, first meets and whatnot. So this this should be a really interesting topic for all three of us because like there's probably a lot of things we did that we could do differently or advise somebody else to do differently. Yeah, go ahead. Like, let's jump into this. It does not matter. Okay, so literally, I please, for the love of God, if you take nothing else from this fucking topic away from me, I'm going to end up ranting about something else. So, But just let me be very clear. Nobody gives a shit what you open with. No. For the love of God. No one sits there and goes, man, can you believe he opened with that if you end with nothing? Like, if your opener is the only thing you get on the day, nobody gave a fuck what you opened with. Like The I, only I, time I, anybody I, cares what you open with is like what Kyle just said. It's like, you opened way heavy than what you should have, and it moved like crap. And the only reason why they're looking at it is because they're like, oh, that was not a good opener. Actually, I, I didn't mean it that way, but you're right too. But what I what I meant by it is like the only person who I give a fuck like if Dan Bell opens up with 900 and then ends with an 1100 squat, I give a shit. Yeah. But at the same time, we all know the 900 is just getting in the meat. This is my point. Like, but like everybody sees that and they're like, oh man, everybody gives a shit about what he opens with. It's like no, they give a shit about that because it indicates where he's going. Yeah. Like if it's your first fucking meet, don't open with your max goddamn squat. Don't open with your max goddamn deadlift. Don't open with your max bench. The reason why I put that last is because everybody's going to fuck bench up anyway. But at the same time, like Dalton's laughing, but I'm fucking serious. Like I have never seen more fucked up lifts than a bench opener. I don't know why. Oh, 100%. They always forget the pause. Always. Or they always jump the pause. pause. It's the fact that like they, they think that like they're training in the gym with like these like light touch pauses and then they're like, yeah, I can light touch 365. And then they fucking open with it and they're pinned. Like, or the, it's like the longest grinder known to man. It's like nobody gives a shit if you open 10 kilos light. Just make another jump. The way that I look at it still to this day, I don't give a shit how big my dick looks opening. It's where I fucking finish. Like, literally, it is literally, which I hate putting it this way, because Dolan's already laughing in his chair. Like, don't send a dick pic that you can't fucking show up for the day of the game day. Like, don't don't send that picture. The girl's like, oh, my God. And then she gets there in person like, oh, really? Like, that was. Hey, that was hey, angles matter. <laughs> well, that's my point. It's like, literally, you come out to the fucking squat platform and you're like, what are you opening with? Oh, I'm opening with fucking 666, motherfuckers. I'm hard. And then literally, like. It looks like you've literally never hit this in your life. Yeah. And then you proceed to barely get your opener. And then you pretty much have to, you should just scratch your last two attempts. So it's just like in training though. This is a great, uh, a great thing too. It's like you always leave room to progress. Yes. Like plain and simple. Like just like in training, we want to leave, like we want to leave room to, to go further. So if you, if you open maximally, you have no place to go. Well, then that's the thing, which, by the way, I will completely own this. I bombed out on squats on my first meet, not because of the fact that I opened too heavy, but because I did not understand that I was going to one of the strictest federations on depth, not because of the fact that they have a different standard, but because they hold a different eye to those standards. Yeah. So realistically, should I open lighter? Probably. 
it's not because I couldn't handle the weight, but it's because I could have comfortably hit the depth easier. And then nobody would have given a shit because my second and my third would have gotten locked in. But because I decided yep. to go out there and be like, you know what? I could fucking open with this. No, you can't fucking sunshine. Now, don't get me wrong. Three months later, I did. And I had a great meet. I went nine for nine and I qualified for my next meet. and I was fine. But I fucking blew absolute dick on that first meet because it was literally I, I fucking I felt like such a jackass. I'm in the back room and then I had to not only this, but it was reinforced by the fact that somebody came in the back room and went, where's the guy that just bombed on squats? And I'm sitting in the corner going, me, do you want a guest lift? I guess so. Dude, that's 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 rough. <laughs> wow. Kick a man when he's down. <laughs> Oh, literally, like, I have never felt smaller in my life. Ever. And I was a fucking miserable dork in high school, and that literally trumped years of torment in five <laughs> seconds. Of, Where's the guy that just bombed on squats? Me! That's, that's me! Thank you! Yeah. Nice to meet you. I mean, it's a great point, though. Like, you always want to... So, both of my lifters that lifted at Battle of the Bay... They were new lifters. They'd never done a meet or anything like that in like a true sanctioned meet. Yeah. So uh, Jeff and Rose, uh, they both were Who? not. What? Who? Who the fuck was the second one? Rose. Who the fuck is Rose? <laughs> She's an out of state lifter. Rose? You spotted her. So yes, <laughs> you spotted, spotted her Rose? before. Yes. Who the fuck was Rose? We'll get into it after the Steve, podcast. Did you meet a rose? Like I'm having a whole problem here. Yeah, she was like a, a middle-aged woman with uh, like uh, darker hair, but she was very quiet, and I only saw her in the very beginning, and then I think she yeah. was like in the stands doing her own thing or something. Okay, yeah, so but I mean, so both of them were brand new lifters to a like fully qualified sanctioned meet with real judges and everything, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So the whole goal with them was just to get them in the meet. So their openers were probably far below what they could have actually opened with and maybe not far below, but it's like, it's low enough that even with any kind of anxiety or nervousness on the, on the day, it didn't matter because they've done these thousands of times in training already. Mm -hmm. So they have no issue with it. Like I know so Jeff opened at like 360. He's got plenty more that he could have opened with, but that doesn't matter. All I want is he gets into the meat. Dude, because I it creates a progression in runway. I've, he, literally, I don't care if it's your 27th meet. Yeah. I still to this day, and I, I'm more power to you. If you're looking at me like I'm crazy right now or listening to this like I'm crazy right now, I get it. But still to this day, I open with something that I can hit if somebody punched me in the dick beforehand. Because yeah. that's the way that I feel. And the only thing that's ever made me feel better about that is I've met numerous other extremely high-level competitors tell me the same thing that they could barely eat before. Oh yeah. And literally like it was, it made me feel better, but at the same time, it just made me feel like I was less crazy. So but, I know like as far as like day of the meat and stuff, I'm not going to eat much. I eat like a pigeon on a meat day. I agree. But what I'm trying to say is, is like literally like people think that, Oh, well that's just my first meat next meat. I'll open bigger only if it's the same level of ease as before. Like, and by the way, nobody's going to be like, hey, what did you open with last meet? Oh, well, I opened with 419. What are you opening with this meet? 419? Oh, lame. But fuck that. It doesn't fucking matter. For all they know, you're making 100-pound jumps. Yeah. Shit happens. It is what it is. 
And you know what's funny? And this is very, very weird. And I do want to throw this into the culture aspect of first meet is there is a huge divide in multiply versus raw as to given a fuck what you open with. Because there is an understanding in the multiply world that it doesn't matter if it's your like third meet or your like 55th meet. It doesn't matter what you open with because it they're opening with whatever they can get to depth or to touch or whatever the least amount possible to make sure they have a lift on the board. Exactly. Because those you're, guys you're just train, talking about getting in the meat. You understand those guys train 50, 100, 150 pound jumps so that if it's a bad day, like if the briefs don't fit or the gear doesn't fit or whatever the fuck is going on, they'll make the jump that they need to after. So they have it in their own mind. What's the least amount, the least amount. Let me say it again. The least amount they can put on the bar to get the lift. So why the fuck do we have this mentality raw of, man, everybody's going to give a shit if I open huge. No, they don't at all. Because if you only get your opener and then everything else is dog shit, they're just going to look at you like you don't know how to fucking lift. Yeah. So it literally doesn't matter. Like, I mean, case in point with Steve, because, and I know I had this question, or I had this conversation with him. I literally went over there and I'm like, dude, everything's moving great. What's the biggest jump you're used to? And he answered. So I knew where I could comfortably put him or where I could push just a hair on his yeah. day. So it didn't matter to me where we opened. It mattered where we were going. And I ended up over jumping his number on his squat because of the fact that I knew, okay, he's used to this jump. So I can push it a little bit because he's moving really well. And I think I did the same thing with you, but you had a whole different goal with your meet that day. So it yeah. didn't come into play, but I still asked you that question. Exactly. Because again, as a lifter, you, you need to know more, especially on your first meet, onto the jumps you're comfortable with rather than what the fuck you open with. Yeah. Like, especially if you're doing it without a coach. Yeah, if you have no handler or anything like that, you should know, okay, am I used to a 10% jump or am I used to an actual number jump? Like, for me, for instance, I know a 50-pound jump I'm okay with. Yep. But if I, I know if I go from 100-pound jumps, unless I'm doing warm-ups, it's not going to happen. Right. Like plain and simple. Well, that's like my, my squat, my squat, I can make 50 pound jumps, be comfortable. Anything more than that, it's going to feel a little rough. I can, I know how yeah. to grind through it, but on my deadlift, I mean, shit, Steve tried to warm up with me on the fucking deadlift for diabetes. And I remember the first thing I looked at him, I was, I was like, just do you, I'll go in between. And he looked at me like I had three heads and then he saw me warm up and he's like, okay, I get it. You're weird. Yeah. Well, it's like, so the last time I pulled seven. All right, cool. My last warm up was like six maybe 605 630 or something like that and then i went straight to seven but, but that's because i know that for me that's okay so i have no issue with that so yeah, in a meet i might open it like 630 and then jump in bigger gaps maybe 60 pound gaps or something agreed so to kind of relate my thoughts on um on kyle's uh kyle's um not tangent but his point on good, on his on good meat attempts on like for, especially for your first meet. Um, speaking of my personal experience, uh, when I went to my first meet, there were a ton of controllable variables that I didn't nail, and part of that was on me. And I also have to say, like part of it, my coach was just not prepared. So my coach was a USAPL high level competitor who had never competed in the USPA and had never coached anyone in the USPA. So um, he was anticipate he was used to a two hour. Uh, weigh in and refeed schedule. And that was fine because on the 24 hour, we were able to recomp, but on the day 
Um, I was advised not to necessarily worry so much about food because these meets only take three hours. That may be true at a local USAP, at a USAPL meet, but in the USPA, that meet took 13 hours. And yeah. so by the end, I was like borderline hypoglycemic. I was shaking like a leaf trying to set my hook grip for deadlift. And it was like my variables weren't well controlled. And because of that, I only got my opener on bench. I missed my second and third. Um, and then for deadlifts, I had to lower my opener. Thankfully, someone came up to me and they were like, hey, you're allowed to lower your opener and you're allowed to change the plan. That was a speakeasy meet, right? Huh? No, this that was, was a speakeasy. Yeah, this was well, it was drug tested states, but yeah, it was the yeah, day that was it was yeah, day after yeah, speaking before because that's the same one yeah. I did because that's where we first competed together. That's where we first met, that's where you and I first yeah. and there was a lot of things at that meet that I did I did poorly on my end, and one of them was poor attempt selection. Like I only got my opener on bench, and because I didn't make good attempts, and because I wasn't experienced enough to understand the expectations of the day, I didn't have a good showing. And now I'm aware that, you know, I want to open with 90 to 92% of what I think my third's going to be. And I know myself that I'm good with 15 kilo jumps. Um, you can jump me 20 on my opener for deadlift a second, but I'm good with 15 kilo jumps. And knowing that now I was able to go nine for nine at my last meet and hit my PR total with the help of Kyle. Um, so it was, it was a good day because I was able to control more of the variables and I was able to make good, intelligent attempt selections. And yeah. I had an excellent handler on the day, which if you can get a knowledgeable handler, like do it. So I'm also used to flying solo. So I come in there, my full warm up sheet, all my meals are packed. I, all my attempts are printed out on a piece of paper. Like all I got to do is read it and give it to the, to the meat coordinator. But if yeah. you can get a good handler there to remove a lot of that from you, like absolutely do it. Like meet people at your gym, network, talk to people. There's a ton of people out there who want to help you. And I'm also talking to Kyle, like, or I'm sorry, I'm also talking to Dalton because Dalton's at TSS and he's talking about he doesn't have a handler. That's one of the biggest power gyms in America. Like, you know, I, I can't help but think that there would be somebody who could now Dalton doesn't need the help. But if he did, if he was, a so novice, I think that goes in the preference too, though. Yes. If he was a novice, personally for me, if I'm competing completely raw, I don't yeah. prefer help. Like in my opinion, like it's, like you don't want nobody to load your warmups or nothing. I, to, to me, as long if as close as I can keep it to a regular training day, that's what I want. Sure. That makes sense. And that's for me, that's nobody with me. Yeah. Me do my own thing. I'm not somebody who, I'm not somebody who really wants to rely on other people, which is a detriment in itself sometimes. Especially kind of attest to this. Yeah. If there's good people you can rely on. You know? Yeah, exactly. And like in a classic, in a classic raw setting or competing in wraps, mm -hmm. it's definitely, definitely a nice thing to have, but I still to this day, I don't think it's a necessity. I agree. No, it's definitely not a necessity, but if it's your first meet and you're worried about controllable variables, if you can find a veteran lifter to help you, like my advice to you, our audience is to do so. Now Dalton's an elite level lifter who's competed many times and he doesn't need anybody's help. He's a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. <laughs> but for myself, I prefer an experienced handler. And if it's your first meet and you can get a good handler, I mean, by all means, like I think it will, I personally recommend it. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I would right say now. for a, uh, I don't know what Kyle said, but I feel like there's some uh, some fire that's supposed to come my way. Uh, but I think for a uh, for a first meet, having a handler is a hundred percent a good idea. So I mean, it's 
if you can find somebody, definitely do it. It's yeah. going to make, like Steve said, it's going to make things so much smoother, so much easier. Um, Kyle, do yeah. you have anything else to add before I jump on another topic? I, I'm just going to say that I, I respectfully completely thank your cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for thinking that you're going to have a better day by yourself. Because I well, It's not necessarily better. that I'm going to have a better day by myself, but if I can oh, keep I, things I as close and... to training, like... I'm also so team Dalton's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, by the way. <laughs> I also understand. If I, could have somebody, if I could have somebody who every day trained with me so that I didn't have to fucking load plates with me, like, I would fucking do that. Like, you have no idea how much it sucks some days, which, by the way, for the record, we I, I train in a great gym. I love the gym I train in. I love when I can get help. And by the way, it is possibly one of the coolest environments as far as plate loading is concerned. But what I'm saying oh, yeah. is, like, if I had consistent training partners that showed up with me every day that did that, like, I would be super fucking stoked about that shit. So, if anything, I think Dalton's a fucking jackass for not setting up his training better, for not having help. But again, that's more of a joke. He's laughing. So please don't think I'm being a dick to him. But at the same time, there is no elite level lifter I've ever met in this, in, in the, like ever. That's like, you know what? I think I'd do better by myself. I think I'm going to have a better time. Like, I a no thousand percent agree with you. And so, but so I you- also think it's something to point out. Like nobody does this by themselves. I'm not doing it by myself because I have you guys as well, even though you're, you know, a thousand miles away. <laughs> For- just send me the Steve's giving me a. Uh, <laughs> yeah seems giving me a heart <laughs> like for myself one of the best things that ever happened to me recently was i like kyle's talking about i was training at this we, we trained at the same gym recruit strength in melbourne florida shout out recruit um i was training there at one o'clock and there was another um high level lifter who was training at that same time and we naturally developed a friendship and then we became formal training partners and it's like i i'm a garage gym lifter i'm recording from my garage gym right now but having a dedicated training partner to keep to keep everything going smoothly, to, to help with plate loading, to help with, I mean, even a second pair of eyes is like, I'm, I was not used to that. And, you know, yeah. shout out my training partner, Hannes Luter. It was, it was an awesome peak in prep. And if you can find a good training partner, I highly recommend it. 100%. I have no one to train with. <laughs> I'm going to start showing up for Kyle's training <laughs> sessions. Though, so. He's so full of shit. I, so to kind of hit on the next thing, uh, don't cut. If it's your first meet, don't cut. No, Jesus. Okay, Especially I don't care if it's your 12th meet. If I, fuck that. No, I'm changing that entirely. <laughs> if you're not setting a record getting cash Thank you. or something in between, don't fucking cut. I don't want to hear, but I'm more competitive. Shut the fuck up. The piece of plastic is worth nothing. If you are not setting a record, again, by the way, I mean national or world. If it's a state record, I don't give a shit. More respect to you if you can get a state record. That's great. But they are reset almost every time someone steps on the fucking platform. Yeah, preferably not a not vacant. Getting, huh, what? I said preferably not a vacant record, by the way. Yes. No, I, I don't give a shit. It, literally, if you are not setting a record of some kind, preferably national or world, if mm. you are not getting cash... There is no, zero, not one reason for you to drop weight unless it is for health reasons. If you are walking around going, I can barely move, lose some fucking weight. I get it. Do some cardio. If weight loss happens, wonderful. But if you are absolutely healthy, happy, and all of these, then strong, there is zero reason for you to cut weight ever. 
ever. I that's, cannot that's agree with that more on any level. Like, I'm so, for instance, I am not cutting coming into this meet. I'm handling my nutrition, and I, I hope to God I am since I do nutrition coaching as well. But I'm handling my nutrition so that I come in under my weight class. Like right now, I'm not losing weight. I'm not gaining weight. I'm just maintaining my weight going into the meet. And then after the meet, I'll reevaluate, go where I want to go. But I am training at my competition weight. And I've been training here for probably about two months now. Like there's a whole point to it. Sure. I, I strongly, strongly feel with Kyle, like if you're not setting any kind of record, any kind of shot at winning a pro meet or anything like that, you shouldn't be cutting. Uh, but I know at the same time, like Steve, you and I have had this uh, conversation before. Like, what about the goals of the lifter? Sure. That's the primary your goal. No, fuck your <laughs> goals. I'm sorry. If your goal is to fucking lose weight, to fucking hit a number, fuck your goals. Please tell me why. Why the fuck does it matter anymore of hitting a fucking specific lift at a specific weight when it means the detriment of your health? Because everybody wants to sit there and be like, because I want to hit this squat at this body weight. Okay, what happens when you blow a tendon? Okay, what happens when it all goes out the window because your refeed goes like shit? I have had very, by the way, very experienced, very good at what they do. I've watched them have shitty fucking days because of a refeed, because of a weight cut, because of whatever the fuck it is. Again, if there is nothing else other than, I really want to do it, shut the fuck up. Now, again, if you've decided to hit a weight and then you decide to lose weight and then hit it again, I get that. But I, I, I will never understand when somebody goes, hey, I want to hit this new number, but I also want to be this body weight. Why? Give me a valid reason why. I don't understand that. I will never understand that. Okay, if you have so... hit it previously and you want to cut to something else, yeah. I get that. Okay. But so if from, it's so like, I have a new client who's uh, upwards of 40% body fat. So like, that's a health thing. I said that. Right. No, no, no. And so like, I'm, we're not, we're definitely not advocating for never going down in weight. Like we're, we're, that's not what we're saying. Um, I think we started talking about like water cutting specifically. specifically, Yeah. Yeah, And then we kind of got into dropping weight classes as like a practice in general, but regarding, regarding water cutting and recomping, like it's an advanced skill. And again, if you're not setting records and if you, I mean, if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, like you literally like there's serious consequences to your health. And I see a lot of people with mismanaged cuts and mismanaged refeeds, and then they have a sub subpar day. And it's like, they never want to hear that. Hey, had you just not cut, that wouldn't have happened. Like they never yeah. want to hear that, but that's not only is it likely it's, it's in some cases it's definite because like, I see it's so much less cut. stress. Yeah. Like I see, it's I see so, how you it's so it. amazing going into a meet, not having to cut. You're just like, Oh, yeah. Wow, this is amazing right now. I lifted at 231 in the 242 class. So yeah. like I could have cut down to 220. It would have been 10, 10 or 11 pounds. But Which would have been easy. Up, I weighed up 11 pounds instead because fuck that shit. Like I have a busted knee and I'm not setting any records anyway. Like yeah. and you went nine for nine. There, that's my point. So let me yes, just exactly. I'm pretty yes. sure I said this before, but let me say it again because if Steve said that, it makes me think that I may have just imagined that. Let me be very clear. Unless you are cutting for a health reason. Yes. So I'm pretty sure I said this. If you were yeah, walking you around happy, healthy, everything, mm-hmm. that's 
great. Stay that way. Now, again, if you're if you don't like something about yourself, that's a whole different ballgame. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you are literally if you are 220 and you're you want to be 220, then stay fucking 220. Don't sit there and be like, I can make it to 198 if I'm a fucking if I eat a peanut. Like, fuck that. And I think another thing that goes with that, too, is like if you don't know how to stay there, then hire somebody to help you. Yeah. This and isn't I a plug for like nutrition coaching or anything like that. It's it's a plug for be healthy and know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah um, literally. Like I because like I just I hate seeing that because it just sets up you're setting yourself up for a huge potential for failure. Yeah. And and by the way, I'm talking and my wife hates this expression because I use it in fucking uh the full send initiative stuff all the time. Catastrophic failure. We're not talking about you have a bad day. You were literally setting yourself up for the potential potential for huge and hazardous injury to yourself. Yes. Because people do not realize that when you fucking cut that much, if you don't know how to put it back, especially water, hydration, everything about that, you, I'm talking huge problems. Huge. Well, so let's, so let's go a different route because so many people probably don't care. And that's if you don't care, you know what? That's fine. That's on you. That's your prerogative. Let's look at it this way then. All right, let's look at performance. How much water do you have to lose to see a detriment in performance? I think it's like 2%. So it's not a lot, right? So if we're cutting body weight, the general acceptable uh, cutoff is 10% at a maximum. Well, guess what? That's five times what they see in hydration loss to start seeing performance loss. So no matter what, if you're cutting weight, Odds are, unless you have a miraculous recomp, and this means that somebody else is doing your like recomp for you, and you're paying them to actually pay attention to you, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be as strong as you could be. Like plain and simple, like it's I just also, not going to happen. I also want to point out that it's extremely irresponsible for, like, as a coach myself, for me to, um, if a client is going to water cut, if they are going to weight cut. Um, it, it's, it's really important, especially if the athlete's a novice that I am on top of that water cut, that salt cut, that salt load, and then the consequent recomp, because like Kyle's saying, like, you don't just stop drinking water and then start drinking water again. Like there are electrolyte balances. Like there are different kidney functions that, that do dip down. Like when you dehydrate yourself, your liver and kidneys don't want to work as well anymore. So like there are real life consequences to these things. And if you're not managing them well, then. Like it, it can literally be borderline malpractice, like borderline negligence to, to put some of these athletes in a bad state like that when they don't know what they're doing. Yes. And oh, for dear God, let me throw this out there. Do not give your athletes your cutting protocol. It is not for them. It is strictly for you. If you pay unless somebody to do, to do so, unless you're licensed to do so, yes. But if you pay somebody to do your cutting protocol for you, do not give it to somebody else because that, that is specifically designed for you. It's if you're a 200 pound male, it's not going to work for uh, what? No, I'm saying it is that finicky. People don't realize that it's it is down to the minute detail of what you have to reintake. I accidentally dehydrated myself a fucking mucinex at my last. Exactly. People are like, what the fuck happened? I literally I went to bed 300 pounds by the time I made the drive to weigh ins and everything, which was a three hour drive. Because I had taken Mucinex four times over the course of the last two days beforehand. I weighed in at 288 pounds. Yeah. And I was shaking like a leaf. It was completely not intentional. It just happened. 
I literally had dehydrated myself and had fucking depleted myself down to that much. 100%. And don't and mess with diuretics, please. Back together. Say again? Oh, God. I said, no. yeah, God, please no. don't mess with those. Uh, no unless you know what you're no doing, unless you pay somebody else to do it for you, do not mess with diuretics. Like, and I think it's irresponsible for anybody to, to say, like, hey, like, take this and you'll weigh under. Looking up nitrous oxide to a fucking stock car. And by the way, I don't mean a stock car racing. I mean, literally, like, the fucking going out to your mom's mini The Nissan Altima. See what happens. Oh no, there goes a piston ring. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? But yeah, I mean, we spent so much time on this topic, but I think it's it's for good reason. We see it so much. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody's first meat go to trash because they're like, Oh, I, I cut for this meat. Same. Why did you cut? You and don't need to up and they're like, Hey, I was throwing up, or like, and then like it's just not like it's not. Yeah. There's so many things that can go wrong with a cut. Yeah. It's just not worth it, especially for your first one. But I think also topic. I'm sorry, because literally, so we've covered don't fucking open to show everybody how big your dick is because it's not. The second thing is don't fucking wet water cut and like do that stupid shit because nobody gives a fuck and you're just going to fuck your shit up. The last thing is, it is literally I'm so fucking stupid, but like don't wait like why are you waiting yes my numbers aren't where i want them to be at shut the fuck up go have fun learn how the meat works Mm -hmm. because i can promise you you don't know how it works you're not gonna know how it works go watch a meat before how many people you've handled and all that shit it's gonna be the same it might not be the same for you sunshine because you might not need the same inputs you may not need that you may need more you may need less who the fuck knows just go literally I don't care if it takes you six weeks to get ready for it. It takes four weeks to get ready for it. Just have an idea of where your openers should be at. Have an idea of where your third attempt should be at and just go have fun and then learn. And I've told this to so many people and like, yeah, but yeah, but nothing, bitch. It doesn't matter how many meets you've done. Like nobody, nobody gets to the end of their career. And they're like, they're like, like to give you an idea, you listen to any podcast, fucking trigger warning conjugate, all of these fucking podcasts. The only reason why I'm using that one is I just listened to that one yesterday. Fantastic podcast if you want something else to listen to as well. Um, it's ran by Anthony Oliveira, super well-versed guy. He's multiply, but he yeah. likes listening to raw guys talk as well. And when he asked that question, it's not how many meets have you done. It's what were your numbers when you started? Where are they now? That's all that matters. And by the way, some of the fucking most awesome stories is like these guys will sit there and be like, oh, well, this is where I started. This is where I'm at now. And there's huge differentials. And like, and literally like fucking nobody gives a shit. If your fucking first total is like 600 pounds, it's a fucking start. God damn it. You went and did a meet. Yeah. Like, and I'm so sick of people who are like, oh, I'm a power lifter. Have you competed? No, I'm waiting. Then you're not a power lifter. I'm sorry. You may train for power lifting, you may train for strength. You may train like a power lifter, but until you put a foot on the fucking platform and actually understand what that experience is like, you're not a fucking power lifter. I'm sorry. I think my biggest regret within all of it, just like competing in general, is that I didn't start sooner. Same. Like my first competition was probably when I was 24 or something like that. I gotta look up because I've got two. Yeah, I, I have to look mine up too. Like, but it was right after I joined the military. So like 
I wish I would have competed sooner, but the thing it the thing I said was exactly what Kyle said. Oh, my numbers aren't where I want them to be. Yep. Guess what? It doesn't matter because odds are you're going to do a local meet and you're still going to you know do really well. Yeah. So it well, doesn't really matter. Like, it, which part of the reason why I have such frustration and such passion for this is because I still to this day remember this. I met a guy who was in powerlifting when I was doing my second degree for human performance. And the guy literally told me, you're, you, you know, if you're not, if you're not already in this, then you shouldn't be or some shit like that. And because he was a relatively well-respected powerlifter at the time, I took what he was saying as, you know, gospel that like I had to fucking get my shit together before I set foot on a powerlifting platform. And the funny thing is, is now, I think it was like five, six years later, I have smoked every number he's ever put up and he doesn't even power lift anymore. Yeah. And before you both asked me to say who it was, it doesn't matter, but like, because we'll talk afterwards. Guys, like stirring the fucking pot, but like, it doesn't matter. Like I should not have taken that advice. And that's the reason why now I literally am super passionate about if you think this is for you, go find out. Nobody's going to be Just mad at you. Me. Nobody's going to laugh at you. And that's part of the reason why I take platform management as seriously too, is because I want this to be the most inviting environment possible because I don't give a shit. If you lift 300 pounds, if you lift 200 pounds, I don't care if you fucking pick up the bar. It takes balls to stand up in front of 40 fucking people, 50 fucking people, how many ever 500 fucking people and be the only one on that platform who has to complete the lift. Also being a single, let's, let's, throw that out point. there like, to, like some people just aren't comfortable work, doing it to put in the work and to step on the platform takes huge balls or for women yep. huge ovaries i don't give a fuck whatever you want to say <laughs> or if you identify as a peanut huge peanuts whatever the fuck i don't give a shit like huge spores if you identify as a mushroom but like it's it takes huge huevos to stand on that platform by yourself yeah and if you're worried about your fucking numbers nobody is looking at you for your numbers and if they are they suck so literally step on the platform, learn what it means to be on the platform and then go worry about your numbers because then you have something to base your training off of. Don't sit there and stress yourself out over, oh, well, I can only do this. Guess what? Yeah. Everyone once upon a time could only do that. So get your start and then start moving. Don't sit there and waste your fucking life going, well, maybe one day. Fuck that. This isn't to say, like, don't be concerned with other people's numbers or anything like that. If you're in a competition setting and you want to be competitive, you have to be concerned about it. Majority of the time, the only time I really care too much about somebody else's numbers is when it comes to my 30 attempt deadlifts. Because then it comes down to, all right, this is the last lift. This is what I have to do, what I need to do to win. And then he passes out. Yeah, pretty much. I had to say, it. I'm well, sorry, I'm getting mad every time. <laughs> until, until you go three for three on deadlifts and stay the fuck awake, I, I'm gonna keep saying it this weekend. Plus, it's, Steve, it's gonna like happen this trans. weekend. I, I think I pissed him off or somehow. I don't know how, but he's <laughs> no, I was, um, I was thinking about <clears throat> one of the like now having done a few meets. Now you you start to get the realization at the end of the meet, nobody knows how the fuck you did. Like literally everybody's going, Hey, how'd you do? Did you hit your numbers? Did you go nine for nine? Like, Oh, did you get your, did you get that bench you wanted? Like, because the meat is so hectic and everybody's so busy. 
it's easy to like think you're so special that everybody's just staring at you and watching you. But I promise you, like, honestly, no one gives a shit. Like they're so yeah. stuck on what they're doing on their own day and their own performance. Yeah. Even if they were inclined to watch you and care, if they're the kind of people that are like, oh, wow, that's a garbage lift. Like that's so light. Like that's a hating ass person. Like that's a negative ass toxic person. And they're already suffering more than you ever will for their negative opinion. So like, I promise you, nobody's watching you. Nobody cares. Nobody and even if you have a bad day, even if you say bomb out or like the worst happens and you don't get any of your benches or whatever, like, you know, we pick ourselves up, we brush ourselves off and we move forward because it's happened to a trillion people. Like it's, it literally happened to Kyle, like on this podcast, it's happened to so many people, but Kyle still showed up and he still made the effort. And even yep. though he was that guy that bombed out, he still guest lifted and he still finished the meet. And by the way, well, let's the talk record, about speakeasy meet too. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm bad. I'm sorry. I'm just I was trying to echo his point to give you an idea in in fucking hold on one, two, three, four, five, five years of powerlifting, five years of fucking powerlifting, even though my last total was shit because I fucked it up. I've put roughly 350 pounds on my total. Yeah, that's that that's literally, which, by the way, there's probably somebody somewhere going, oh, OK, that's pretty good. That's no, fucking dog shit. But. I'm still proud of it. Like, don't get me wrong. Exactly. I still call it dog shit because it's not where I want to be, but I acknowledge the progress. Like my first powerlifting competition, I totaled just over like 14 or 15. Okay. So we're about the same there. Yeah. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> I, I now it's like, 14, I'm trying to knock on a door of a, a 17, 1800 pound total right now. So it, like, I don't care where I started. I care where I'm coming to. Yeah. yeah. So, no. and I'm, pr I'm proud to say that I did my first meet as a relative novice and I barely totaled 1200 and uh, I'm, s I wish I had competed even sooner because yeah. now when, when people look me up, they're like, Oh damn, like that's a 300 pound increase on his total. Like, damn, like that's substantial. And it's like, yeah. uh, if, even if my first total had been 600 pounds, that just means my 1600 pound total looks that much better now. So like, get out there, do a meet, like, I, I would like it to be a reputable fed, but do what's close. Like, uh, USPA, USAPL, RP, like WRPF, yeah, RPS. Do what's, do, what's do what's close to you. APF, Shell Kyle's meets. That's what I'm saying. Like, we're going to start doing the, the APF, um, RPS thing now. Apparently, like, we're, apparently we're no longer USPA gym. So we're going to start doing all sorts of weird stuff. What the fuck does that mean? That's <laughs> okay. Hold on. I need to address this real quick because he brought it up. <laughs> What the fuck does it matter what fed you compete in? It doesn't at all. It doesn't. That's the thing. It matters what really, standard you lift to. Yes. People don't understand this because, like, I I have lifted in every – so, literally, I'm looking at my, my two open powerlifting pages right now. RPS, USPA, 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 APF, APF, RPS, RPS, USPA. All of these fucking different federations. Do you know what I figured out between running their platforms as a platform manager or a spotter and or lifting in them they're all saying the same fucking thing yeah all the complaints coming from people are because of people they're not because of rules they're not because of a rule book they're not because of anything they're because people suck so if you have a fucking issue with a federation you have an issue with people not an issue with federation rules other than I, you look at the rules of federation they suck, they're but, not far apart from each other exactly so other than like the usapl where they only use one barbell and they've got some bullshit rules about your head on the bench and stuff like that i'll argue that they suck or whatever the fuck they're called now. But, <laughs> and again, no offense, I'm just making jokes. I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail. He's, he's a chick, he's a dickhead, is what it is. 
But I mean, your, your name is Captain Deadcock, so. This is absolutely true. I am a dickhead, but I do think it's bullshit. You can't lift up your head from a fucking bench. Please tell me what anabolic properties that has. But it is what it is. What I'm saying is, like, I do want to see more people crossing over from federation to federation. Because guess what, guys? doesn't matter what federation you're in. You can only put on so many meets a year. So what I'm saying is don't limit yourself by what federation. Yes, have loyalty. I get that. But at the same time, nobody's going to run and punch you in the face for crossing over from a different federation. So like, and I, I will, will say compete. one thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I will, no, 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 the no, thing I'll say is like RPS. Yeah. <laughs> cut you off for a second time. Yeah, RPS. It's like <laughs> RPS may get a bad rap, but also look at your meat directors. Like who, who's putting it on? Because you know what? Directors. It's the whole well, thing. The thing I'll say though is like Jordan Wong's meats. Yeah, didn't get a bad rap because he put on a good meet. Well, you also got to realize that the state chair has also changed as well. Ryan Conway exactly, and and Tony Rogers are fucking killing it as the state chair for the RPS because they're controlling who are putting on their meets, and that's the reason exactly. why I'm saying it's a people issue. It is not a Fed issue. It is a people issue. If you look at some states, there are some states that only put on RPS meets. And those are the states that nobody gives a shit about it. And by the way, Florida RPS for the last like 12 months or whatever it is since Tony and Ryan have taken over are fucking killing it because the standard is there. And by the way, they are literally upholding the standard of the Federation. That's all you can ask for. That's my point is like, which that's the big thing that I'm trying to push with the full send initiative is because people are like, well, I don't want to do this over there because they have bad spotters. That's a people problem, not a federation problem. Yeah. So if we standardize the spotting across all federations, people should be able to lift across the board. And that doesn't matter at that I, point. That's a hidden purpose of what I'm trying to do. I don't want somebody to say, oh, Kyle's an APF lifter. I'm a fucking power lifter. I will lift where I'm able to lift. The minute that the USPA puts a mono on the platform, I'll go fucking compete USPA. I'm lazy. I don't want to walk out anymore. I had to walk out in wraps the other night because of a malfunction, and I wanted to kill myself. Welcome like, I, to Steve's Nyers world. No, fuck you. More power to you guys. <laughs> if I'm going to sleep, they'll walk out till I'm blue in the face. The minute that I tie my shit down in wraps, I do not repeat, do not want to walk out anymore. And I will be a lazy piece of shit like that. So, again, the minute the USPA puts a fucking mono on the platform, I'm in. I'm right there. Cool. But, I, and by the way, the minute that I decide to go back into sleeves, I will fucking, I will consider going back to a USPA and walking my shit out again. But it's not, it's, there's no hate there. I just prefer a mono. Yeah. Like, yeah. And people, like, too many people think that there's got to be these allegiances. Compete where you want to compete and where you can compete. Don't sit there and be like, well, I got a USPA coach, so I got to compete USPA. Why is your coach only for one federation? That brings up a good point. Like as a coach, you need to don't be tied to one thing Yes. because that's going to pigeonhole yourself. Like if you have a person who competes USAPL, like know the rules for USAPL, like we said before, they're not that different. Know them, know the nuances. If you have somebody just, you know, look the rules up, be able to explain them. And by the way, guess what? Uh, before everybody jumps into the comment section and goes, well, depth is different. If you look up the rule book for all three of the federations we're talking about right now, APF, USPA, RPS, it is almost identical, if not identical verbiage in every one of the rule books for depth. Yep. So if you see a depth issue, it's a judging issue, not a rule issue. 
Uh, let so, me say that again. It's a judging you... issue, not a rule issue. If you look them up, they're the same fucking standard. It is the top surface of the hip at the hip. Top surface of the thigh at the hip. Top surface it's below of the, thigh the knee. At the hip. And that's what it is. Nobody, no, there's no hip crease. Nobody said it. Like, I don't care how many fucking people, oh, it says it. No, it fucking doesn't. It is the same goddamn thing. And before everybody's like, well, multiply squats high. You put on six-ply canvas and then tell me where your fucking hip crease is. Plus, they squat toes out heavy and sit back hard. Yep. Unless you're sitting at the side and you're looking at a video from the side, it's going to look high from the front. So before everybody jumps on a bandwagon and goes, oh, well, they squat high and you want to go squat in the APF so you can squat high. I still squat toes forward and I still send my knees forward. So I'm held to the same goddamn standard. Go suck a dick. So uh, my, Kyle my, my only thoughts on that were um, provided that the not just the meat director, but the meat director and then the officiating staff are all upholding the standard. I don't have any opinion on that either. But I will also live and die by the fact that there are federations like um, Metal Militia, for example. And these meats are a fucking joke. Like on this, like as far as upholding the standard, these meats are a literal joke. Like from the pound plates to the soft lockouts to the no pausing bench to the every fucking squat is high. Like, and some people seek out these feds for the ego lifts on the numbers, but that is ultimately up to the lifter. So long as you are lifting with integrity to the standard, I don't give a fuck if you're using 17 meter knee wraps and a mastodon bar that weighs hundred pounds. Like, so long as you are squatting to depth, and you're fall and you're upholding the standard. The federation, in my opinion, doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. Right, I think I'm it's a great place to like stop at the federation. I mean, but I, I'm just going to say that I agree with you as far as upholding your own standards as well. Yeah, lift to a standard is what we're saying. Hold yourself to a standard, even if you don't compete in a federation that has standards. Hold yourself to a standard. But hold yourself to I the standard. Exactly. All right. So where can, they, where can they find you guys? Uh, you can search me on Facebook or Instagram uh, with Steve Pruitt. Uh, my Instagram at is Steve's Lifts. And then if you hit that link tree, you'll see different intake forms and progress reports and different things you can look at from there. Don't find me. <laughs> nice. Especially <laughs> not after this one. This is, this is a bad showing for me. I, I was way too comedic value on this, and I apologize in advance. I do look up the full send initiative. Yeah, yeah. don't judge me based Spread on that. Spread that out as much as you can. Especially uh, that is something that I think is really valuable and I will plug that every single episode. Yeah. Especially like the on the full send initiative page, the most recent post is on the double overhand back yes. spot on the squat. And that is one of the most triggering things you can ever do to me because I fail forward. And I don't need your dumbass grabbing the bar double overhand. I need you fucking catching me, which is the back spotter's job. So go yep. watch the video, follow the full send initiative. And that's all I have to say about that. Pretty much. You can find me but, on but Instagram. But don't find me, <laughs> <laughs> don't find find me at uh, Dalton underscore MM. Uh, again, if you click the links in my bio, you'll find my website for any intake forms or anything like that. You'll find the, the podcast. You'll find also the Sunday 5 p.m. coaching meetings that we do. Um, Don't show up. Oh, oh no. you're going to make me cry. It really is a good time, though. I you're going to hurt my feelings. Don't do that. 
<laughs> but uh yeah so that's that's pretty much if you got any uh show topics you want to hear feel free to see and send any of us a dm uh, i'll be putting some more questions and polls on this one so click into the episode on spotify give us a rating on spotify they do that now we're on google we're on apple all of it so look us up drop some questions drop some topics respond to the polls and that's it from us guys awesome catch y'all later later